0: Um, as a kids head down, I think it's appropriate to uh, acknowledge that today, like, oh, it's fun to celebrate the Super Bowl. It's like in this area of the country um, for Chiefs fans. It's almost like, OK, we have the Christmas season, which lasts, you know, five to six weeks. But then we get to follow that with playoff season, which has also lasted about five to six weeks for anybody who is a fan of the Chiefs, which is pretty fun. Um, and because I know in our family, uh, it also results in a lot of community and fun together, and sharing food, and just uh, laughing together, and, and sometimes crying together as well. Um, but but not today. I don't know those emotions. It's and that's why I mean I have really appreciated the what what watching sports, and this can be professional football. It can be local North Andrew Athletics or Savannah Athletics. or It is interesting what happens to humans, especially um, to men where you get to see a part of them that's not ignited in the everyday parts of life. You know, um, I think about, I think both of the Chiefs playoffs games so far, they've cut to the stands and you see grown men in tears in front of 60, 70,000 people. And it's like, What other scenarios is that man, like, I just don't care. Like, I hurt too much. You know, it's like maybe a funeral, maybe a funeral. And so, and we, and as Chiefs fans, we laugh at him. Like, look at that guy crying. I have been that guy. Um, I do feel like I am not that guy anymore. Uh, And it is like, it's funny, but we do know it's like, oh, okay. There's, there's actually some identity happening here, um, and I've, I've seen numerous men. I haven't seen any women yet. I'm sure there are, but get actually the Kansas City Chiefs arrowhead tattooed on their body. And it's like, well, what more identifies you than the things you choose to wear on your skin permanently, right? So there's some identity happening there, and I knew... Um, how bad it hurt me sometimes as a kid when I'd watch them lose, which was most, you know, a lot for most of the time. I knew, like, why does this hurt so much? Like, it's outside of me, and yet something had internalized in me to identify with the Kansas City Chiefs or the Kansas City Royals or the Missouri Tigers, you know, as my dad really gave me these teams to, like, Listen and follow, and then you have the voices of even the radio announcers, kind of just ingrained in me. Like this is who I am, and realizing later that the Chiefs are not who I am. Um, that it's really fun to enjoy the Chiefs, but they um, they are not who I am. There is no part of me at its base level who I actually am in reality, created to be in truth by God, that is tied to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, <laughs> and I sometimes think I, the, the world does not revolve around me, but in the, in the place that it does, I was like, I think it was when I finally let that go is when they, all those teams actually started winning. Um, but it has been, um, it's been illuminating to me, like, man, why do I feel the things I do? And a lot of it is like, who do I believe that I am? Who, who am I actually? Who are you actually? I um, what part of your identity you know, has, where is it come from? Who's told you who you are? What are your feelings about the way the world operates around you, about your experience, gets you both really excited and joyful or also despairing? Because those feelings are, are telling you what you believe about who you are. And so it's really important, I think, to pay attention to what gets you fired up, what makes you angry, what makes you joyful. Because it's telling you, like, who you are and what, sh- what seeds have been planted at the depths of your soul that can't be just rewired just because you're like, I will now be this person. Like, even if you make a really solid resolution, I'm going to make a change in life. You know, I could step over that line and it's going to take some time to actually like, oh, no, it's just a part of who I am. Even when I'm not thinking about it, even when I'm like out of my conscious thinking. So it's it's really I, I've appreciated the chiefs because they've shown me a lot about myself. And the Royals and all these other sports teams. And you can look around at your very Super Bowl parties today and you can kind of enjoy just people watching. Um Joe told me the other day when we were sitting in an academic team, a middle school academic team, you're like, oh, the fun, it's fun to listen to the questions and try to see what you get right. But he's like, the most fun is watching the kids' faces. <laughs> because then you get you get a lot of faces because it's like, oh, I'm an idiot. Oh, look how smart I am. Oh, I knew that one. Well, of course you did. You're sitting outside of the action right now. So Um, So you can watch the faces of people around you um, today and really any time in life. And you can you can learn a lot, uh, but mostly pointing that directly towards us, towards you. Who are you? Where does your identity come from? Um, I'm getting ready to start tennis season. I begin my tennis season the same way. I will do it the same with getting the boys together and telling them the most important thing that tennis is all about. I say, you will all be dead soon. <laughs> and it makes you uncomfortable, I guess. Um, but that's like, I, I say that because, and Al Sir Big had said it previously a few months ago when we were listening to him, he's saying, are, are we all like pretending that this party will go on forever? Like, and and as much as we spend time like trying to make of this and preparing to have a good life Who is actually preparing to die well? The thing that we know we will all do. Um, Are you prepared to die? Because it is coming, and it may be coming as shortly as this week. But even if it is uh, years away, that's soon on the scope of eternity. And we know uh, from the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. And as we talked about when we were talking the catechism, you know, you have earned that wage. Good job, you hard worker in sin. You've earned that wage of death. It is yours. Step right up. It is mine. Um, and yet, yeah, that is something that like, ooh, kind of makes us squirm. I don't like death. I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to think about it. Why would you bring? Why would you bring high school tennis guys to do it? And it may not be a wise uh, decision as a coach. I may get fired because of it someday, which I'm okay with. But the reason I do it is just because if we are playing games that are numbing us to the reality that death is coming, then those games are not worth spending time on. But if we are in the games and things we enjoy in life, pointing us to the realities of what's ultimately true, then they can be fantastic tools and they can be enjoyed and grasped and grappled with saying like something's happening to me as I go about my life. The ordinary things in life, like a tennis match, or a wrestling duel, or a book that you're reading, or something that you eat later today, all of it can point to God's glory and show us the realities of his glory. Or they can distract us from that glory, too. It can be the same thing. Two different people partaking in the same thing. One person is ignoring and staying apathetic to the realities of death and life. The other person is embracing the realities of life, life and death. And so I think it's really important, um, and I think it points to what we've been learning in Scripture. Like all of Scripture is pointing to like, hey, what's the ultimate reality here? What's the point? Or Do you want to get after the real point, or do you just want to keep distracted so you don't have to really wrestle with what is going on around you? Um, and the only way to wrestle with what is going on around you without leading yourself to despair is to go numb, to be apathetic. And God said, I'd rather you go l- go cold to me than to be lukewarm and apathetic towards me. That's the place that just seems where the real danger lies is that you can just numb out. Because if you fully give yourself to your own identity, one you've created, if you give yourself fully to it, you'll find how empty it is very quickly, which will lead you to despair and then lead you, well, so what else is there? And that's where God says, look at me, look at my son. And then like, all right, and that's where new life starts, which is what we'll spend our time Today, talking about. There's no key core scripture today. We're going to cover quite a few, but we've been looking, we looked at the Lord's Supper in January. Now we've been looking at baptism, the two ordinances or sacraments of, of our Christian faith that are given to us in scripture. And, and the baptism, um, many of you have had your own personal experience with you. Some of you have not. And I would I would hope that there will be some people who choose to be baptized after we're done today. Um, But ultimately, these things are about the ultimate realities of life and death. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, when the uh, Israelites had come out of Egypt, were getting ready to enter the promised land. Moses is giving them their, their final, like, here we go, team. Come on, here we go. The last coach before they stepped out to their own Super Bowl. And in that, he was saying, here's the covenant, the covenant of the law God's given you. What do you need to do if you want God, if you want perfect relationships with him? Follow all of it perfectly. You've you got to be perfect as your father is perfect. And then you can have heaven on earth. But we know that's not true. And so God made a way for forgiveness through the animal sacrifices and ritual ordinances and cleansings. All of this law, 600 plus laws. Follow these, you would have perfection. But we know you can't. So therefore we we shed blood. We kill and let blood be shed. So at least there's some element of we can experience God's righteousness because we make these sacrifices of blood. And in all of that speech that Moses is leading his team to there, he says, God set before you life and death. And it's always kind of the the two poles there that are given to us. Like, all right, life and death before. He says, I urge you to choose life. I urge you to choose life. But in that, we know we have failed to choose life. Did the Israelites choose life no, they, they could not be found because their hearts were sinful. They chose death over and over and over again, which is why the law allowed for these cleansings, these these little cleansings that lasted just a little while, long enough to have some community connection with their creator, but not long enough to satisfy and cover over all of our sins, for all of humanity, for all of time. So enter the picture of cleansing, and cleansing specifically um through blood, as we looked at in the Lord's Supper, like sharing symbolic blood and, and wine and juice, but there's also cleansing through what? Water. And it's, it's something that's just so ingrained from us from an early age. Um, we, you know, just like we're born in water. We're cleansed as newborn babies in water. And then in life, like, Hey, you need to go clean, clean that thing. You know, you we'll go wash the car and you need to go wash the dishes. And what does it always entail? It's Water, 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 water were 60% of us sitting right there. Like you were 60%, just a blob of water as you sit there and listen. And we worship together and water's everywhere. Um, and yet sometimes it's so common. We actually fail to like, all right, graph like, wow, this is a really powerful substance that we're dealing with. And it now has used, I think, to illuminate God to us because Every time we're washing with water, we are cleaning. We're trying to get something back to clean, pure, new. And in that, we're trying to get rid of the nasty, the dirt, the filth, and make it new again. And this is prevalent throughout the Old Testament. Like I said, in the law, ritual cleansings, there's an episode, it was the last episode of season three in The Chosen, where, again, that that was extra biblical sometimes in that script and that drama that plays out. But Peter's wife, in this case, um, she had miscarried and was just struggling with anger and just misunderstanding of how could God allow this to happen. Um, Anger at her husband for not caring for her and her grieving of that. And so it ends that episode with her going into the water, juxtaposed against Peter, stepping out into the water to trust in Christ, um, and Jesus, as he says, come to me at the same time, it's showing his wife go into the water as a ritual, a ceremony of saying, look, God can take my pain. He can take my burdens and my weights and they can be washed away. And that's that's all before, you know, Christ actually going to the cross and rising again. But in that we see like that tied to the Old Testament, the before Christ times. A purifying nature effect, uh, a purifying ceremonial effect of water. But then, before Christ crucified too, we get John the Baptist who starts plunging people into the Jordan River. John the Plunger, they said, is actually as a, a apt translation of the Greek as John the Baptist, but it doesn't. I guess we don't say that. Does not have a reverence as John the Baptist plunging people, putting them in the water, all before Christ, right? All before. Not like Jesus is living, but he hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't been buried and been raised himself, um, as we see. So, it's like, okay, so what's that in-between time? And this isn't a uh, a teaching about John the Baptist, but you can go read about him. I taught on him, it might have been two years ago, um, when we were in Luke. And just seeing him saying, hey, let's take this idea of water, of cleansing, and let's put it to, it. like, come, be baptized. A baptism of repentance, meaning I do want to die. This old way of trying to find God, find meaning, find fullness of life, it's not working. So he's encouraged people to like, hey, get ready. Make straight the path for something bigger that's coming. And he's pointing to that. He's saying in that, go ahead and be baptized right now. You don't have to wait for this savior to fully reveal himself. Be baptized right now and he's plunging people and they're coming out of the water with the encouragement to say, be ready for the one who comes after me. So uh, an interesting take on baptism, even itself, like, hey, what's it actually doing? Because that's what we're trying to get after. We want to uh, we want to take this gift of baptism and we want to use it just the way God intended so we can really have access to the fullness of what God intended for something like baptism. And so that's what we're after today, considering all this. And forgive me, you know, with just using the time we have not to say, oh gosh, we could just pour into John the Baptist a lot more. But the idea is more to like, all right, in all of the talk about what is baptism, how the different traditions experience it, we looked at uh, with Alistair Begg about Presbyterians approach to baptism. Presbyterians, Lutherans, Anglicans, Episcopalians, all practicing infant baptism um, and making a really good case to do so. R.C. Sproul and in countless Presbyterian ministries, Timothy Keller, who we trust and have listened to, hey, they're baptizing infants. Some of you were probably baptized as infants. Um, and yet we have uh, folks we trust, men we trust like John MacArthur or Alistair Begg saying, no, we really would say it's most biblical to do a confession along with baptism, a credo baptism they call that, that you can speak a creed, you can believe a creed as you then plunge yourself into the water, go under, come up as a new creation symbolically. But there's a few things I want to just like, hey, let's lay the foundations on here and where we sit right now as a church family. And how do we approach baptism? How do you um, approach baptism? What do you believe about it? What do you see in scripture? That like, this is what I take from it. So I can tell you without going into all the details and Chris mentioned this, even he's listened to some of it as well. We can take men far more studied and experience in uh, scripture and researching scripture, we could just play those uh, debates for you. It's like, well, I don't think that's what we're called to do when we can find men like, ah, their approach to scripture is both like, we trust it. It's alive, it's fruitful. And yet they come to different conclusions about modes and methods of baptism. So let's maybe go um, above that, the weeds of that a little bit and say, okay, then for us, what do we see in scripture um, and is is there clearly to us, and that's what Alistair, um, I know has always tried to do: Just get very plain on it. So let's turn to some pieces of scripture. Um, as before, we do I would like to pray because I'm inadequate to do any of this. Father, please, as we look at your word, illuminate it to us. Show us what you want for us. Let us not be um, bound by any a form of our own identity that we've built up, but let us truly put to death the old selves and come to newness of life in Christ, revealing your scriptures to us in that newness and not letting us stay with hearts of stone, but have hearts of flesh. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In Romans chapter six, it's one of the the key looks we have at baptism and this from Paul and his letters and a foundational theology book like Romans as we went through. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, Romans 6, three through four. I encourage you to come back to that scripture later today if you can. In his letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter two, I have been crucified With Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then the next chapter, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what is baptism in itself? Well, like we said, it kind of gets its roots from this cleansing by water. And there was rituals and ceremonies to say, yep, yeah, wash him. Make him new. Just as you would wash a baby, and how much better does does that young child feel when it doesn't smell of spit up and poop. Like, ah, oh, this is nice. Or your own cleansing, right? Like, I stink, I need a shower. And how much better it can feel. Although mom reminds me, when I was a kid, I hated showers. Um, <laughs> Because it was my skin. It was not that I like to stink. It was just my skin. So, but just like, oh, there is something that happens, even ceremonial, even ritualistically, but also very practically with using that water. But let's not see baptism as no pun intended, as shallow as just a ritual uh cleansing when it's also pointing to a symbolic spiritual death. And therefore, an opportunity for a spiritual resurrection. Remember, we started with that slide. Life and death. And to have, like, say, well, you're making this a matter of life and death, someone might say. You're acting like this is life and death. Taking a small issue and making it too big. We can't make this big enough. When we're talking about spiritual life and death. Eternal separation from God or eternal life with him. And no, baptism itself does not grant spiritual life anew. But there is power behind it, I think we'll see as we keep going. But generally, a baptism really defined as, in according to these scriptures by Paul, defined by scripture as a symbolic death of what? An old self. An identity, as we talked about when we talked about revealing what I thought about myself when I found identity in even the Kansas City Chiefs. An identity of the old self saying, no more, dead, gone, Went zero trace of it left. Old, crucified, put on a cross until there's no life left in the identity that Wakefield builds on his own, that you build on your own. That identity. This is who I am. This is what stirs my heart to joy. This is what brings my heart into despair. That old self, the the natural human self, as we all are under the curse of sin started by Adam, that identity needs to die. There has to be death because that identity earns nothing but death. As we saw in that first verse from Romans, the wages of sin is death. And so a lot of us, I think, are looking like, well, we don't have to die. We don't have to get rid of all of the old. We want to keep some of it and then add to it. We want to refine it, make it better. And that's what humans really have shown throughout their history. Let's take what we've had and let's build on it, make it better. As opposed to like, no, we need to cut off, start again fresh with something much better than what we can manufacture on our own. And you almost like get sad when you start to listen to some of those who are like, have big dreams for the human race on a secular basis apart from God. And you're like, gosh, they have a lot of high hopes and you can can actually, you know, admire some of it. Like, wow, it sounds really encouraging and exciting about what humans can create in the future. But separated from the creator of all things, you almost just like, it's just going to the same place it always had years after years. That old self-manufactured identity in you, in humanity in general, it's not doing it. It never has. It's not satisfying. It's a well that runs dry. You're like, well, maybe we need to dig this direction. It's, it's, it's running dry. It's not happening. So what do we do? We kill. We are eager to see that old self die because we know, and you know it's not working. Do you need a few more self-help books and thinks all the problems will go away? I just need to be a little more smarter, a little more patient, a little kinder. Just have kindness, the world has told us often. There will probably be a Super Bowl commercial that just encourages. If only we're kind, we can solve these problems. Kindness is not going to bring peace to the Middle East. You know it won't. It's like way too complex. People have tried that. It doesn't happen. What can bring peace to the Middle East or peace to America or peace to your heart? Well, it starts with kill the self-effort. Kill that old identity that is trying to do this. And how do you symbolize that? burying it, killing it by burying, drowning it in the water, dunk it, hold it down. (laughs) I'm not advocating for at least like 30 second baptism, but hold it down symbolically under the water. Say it's dead and I want it to be gone. And maybe that's a good question for you. Has God regenerated your heart? And a question to ask yourself, do I really want to let go of the old life? Because you're like, man, my old life's pretty good. I don't need Christ to touch everything. I just need him to give me a ticket to heaven and I'm good. I'll keep everything else, just give me that ticket. And you can say, if that's the way you're thinking, you do not have faith. Because he's saying that does not get you in. You can't bring the old self to me. You need complete newness. So we want to kill the old self. We want it to die. And that gets discouraging for people because you're like, well, I've experienced some goodness in the old self and what I've built. Yeah, some But it reminds me of C.S. Lewis' quote that I often will reference. Like, are you really satisfied with the mud pies that give you some satisfaction when you can't even imagine a vacation offered at a pristine sea? Do not settle for kind of good when perfection is offered to us. Paradise is offered to us. And so, baptism, killing the old self. And then what did Paul say? Raising to new life. And a new version of ourselves? No, ourselves will die. Be dead, be gone, and the new self will be who? Christ. A perfect sacrifice and a perfect type of man that actually can be presented to God and say, wow, you are perfect. Please come be with me. Not because Wakefield shows up, but when Wakefield shows up, the father sees Jesus, sees Christ. And that is when I come out of the water, that's what's me. Christ is me. I put on Christ. It gets a little scary to even say, I'm, I'm at all worthy to say Christ because that's actually not true. I'm not worthy of Christ, but he, he gave me his identity anyway, and I may be called a child of God. And that is powerful. So that's the excitement of baptism. And who doesn't want that for yourself? Some of you don't. And I'm not like saying, I know who you are. No, like, There could be a number of people sitting in a pew this morning like, I don't want to get up the old. I just want to keep working on the old and it'll get better as opposed to no, cut it off, cut it off, bury it, kill it, crucify it, dunk it, drown it. But that's exciting because then the old self doesn't have to strive anymore. All those strivings cease for the new life that Christ has done the work for us and we can take on his identity. That's great news. And we should want to step into that We should want that for our children and also then for us who say, yeah, that is me. I don't want the old self. I have repented of that old. I don't want it anymore. Repentance really just defined as not wanting the old anymore. And then I can step into obedience, an action I can then take to say, I want to be baptized. I want to seal this faith. By doing something that can be done with my senses, including going under real water and coming out really new, spiritually and and symbolized by a dunking in water. And I think we now, um, and this is something that came out of all the smart pastors that um, we've listened to, like the R.C. Sprouls, John MacArthur, both can be in agreement of this, whether you baptized really young or you baptized till older, you can or an adult or somebody who was on their deathbed in their 80s or 90s and and baptized them. What is not good is when believers, people who say, yes, I have been regenerated by Christ. I don't want the old life. I want the newness of Christ and I believe in it and I found it. And you have not been baptized. You are living in disobedience. And we say we have a lot of people who will profess faith. And say, I have been, I have been renewed and regenerated by the work and finished uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, and yet they are going on like. But I don't need to be baptized. Okay, well, Christ, before He ascended, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. And then we see then when that church, that first church after Christ ascended, um, while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And so this is the commands we see of like, yes, amongst other scriptures, believe and be baptized. It's like, well, what does it do if it's just if it's not salvation itself? It's like, I don't know fully. Alistair doesn't know. R.C. Sproul doesn't. John MacArthur doesn't understand fully because we are humans. But if the father says, do this, do you want to do it? Do you trust him up? Do it. Without understanding it completely, should we want to do it? What's the risk except saying, ah, oh, you know, we can make excuses. I see enough. And like, well, then let's do it. Let's be baptized with water. I'm not so worried about the mode or, subs, uh, or method, but let's do it. Let's be obedient. For those who have been saved, let's find joy in being obedient to scripture and also carrying the weight of, wow, what if I'm not obedient? Um, Romans, uh, in his introduction to that letter, Paul says, obedient comes from faith. Prove your faith. Have a chance to step in and, and feel, experience your faith through obedience. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, it's a liar. The truth isn't in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. There's gifts, there's wonder in being obedient to God. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, how to walk in that same way in which he walked, and Jesus even gave his own personal example of baptism. But here's the other supernatural part that is really exciting to say step into the obedience of baptism is that, like we saw in that scripture that Christ gave in Acts, that Holy Spirit is tied to baptism. Now, is it exclusively tied to baptism? No. Because we see the Spirit working outside of baptism. We see the Spirit working even in the Old Testament. But we do see Christ giving specific uh, connection with baptism. And then the the baptism both coming through the water. But then the Spirit coming out of that baptism in Acts. Chapter 2, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Corinthians, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The spirit can scare some of us, especially in the less charismatic traditions of the church, which I would classify us as one. But do you really want to quench a supernatural power of God that he says is able to be alive in you at this very moment. Do you want to quench it at all? Do you want any risk of, of quelling what he might be wanting to do in you or for you? No, I don't. And that's what actually led me to like say, I'm not sure I understood my first baptism. I got baptized again. I'm not recommending rebaptism if anybody. So I can't say I made the wisest choice. But also in that, and you, as you consider your own view of baptism, consider that like we, we looked about, uh, one person eats and thinks it's fine, another person eats and thinks it's sin. For him who thinks it's sin, it is sin. So I encourage you to step into that same look of baptism. Yes, we need to examine scripture. We can't say whatever we want about baptism and say, oh, it'll be, it'll be fine because I'm doing, no, look at scripture. But in that, when, when it's not abundantly clear, all right, step into it with faith. And out of these scriptures, I have faith that my baptism is powerful and has released power in me and revealed things to me immediately? No. I didn't have like, whoa, I went under and then I came up and now I see this. But I can say my life is not the same. And I think most of you can attest to that because many of you know me for a very long time. Is it because of like, oh, it's because of the baptism. That was the one supernatural act. Like, no, but I think that baptism was a gift to me to be able to point to and remember it kind of as a stone playing in the ground, like I went under the water. That old wake that struggled so mightily to have an identity that wasn't crushed by this world is now alive. And I can stand as one before you who says, I do not fear anybody who can take this flesh and bones. I don't fear anyone who can take my family, take my wealth, take my ability to speak, take my anything I have. I only fear God. And that is incredibly empowering. I feel like I'm a, a foot into the kingdom already. Not because of my baptism, but I sure am thankful that I experienced that as a gift from God. To go under and to come up new life. My new life did not hit me like a, a one big lightning bolt. But I do have new life. I can testify very confidently to that, even though I can't provide uh, scientific evidence or measure of it. It's different. I stand before you much different than I was however many years ago. And I am so thankful. And I want this for my children. I want this for my church family. And I encourage you, if you have not been baptized, to step into the obedience of it and expect God to do supernatural wonders through that. It may be like, well, it's kind of humiliating though because I've been here for a while or I've been a believer for a while. I just thought, ah, it's not that important. To die to your old self is by definition humiliating. (laughs) You want to put to death. And so I encourage you, even if you're like, oh, people will think this. That's not the audience that matters. Your true church family, if this is you, and like, I need to be baptized. I want to step into that obedience. um, Look forward to that kind of humility And your church family, those who see Christ in you, will celebrate wildly with you. It will be great. Um, So I encourage you to think about that, and mostly from the standpoint of let the old ways die. And let's celebrate a new way to life. Where all the pressure falls off of God's children, he says, follow me. Take upon my yoke, which is light and easy. Let Christ be magnified in all his glory and work and let us take on that new identity. An identity that will not be shaken if the Chiefs lose to the 49ers. An identity that will not be shaken if you start to show symptoms of something you're afraid is a little deeper than a common cold. An identity that will not be shaken if you lose a child or a spouse or go through a terrible break in, in family relationships. An identity that will not be shaken if World War III is imminent. That is power. That is glory that we would say we will not be brought to death through those things. We'll be brought to death by the cross and being able to identify in the cross of Christ and then brought to new life as he showed in resurrection. Why was John the Baptist's baptism important um, before the resurrection? I don't fully understand. Uh, as we talked, we talked in Sunday school a little bit. I would account that sometimes we're working on our human timelines, that God's timeline isn't like ours. So considering that he can do things that like, well, this and this and this, when he's like, no, just that, all of it, all at once. And that's where it gets like, ah, oh, okay. So just trusting him, like, I don't understand. Like, okay, why was Jesus baptized into new life? And even though he hadn't been resurrected, raised from the dead yet, a good question i don't fully understand it do you need to understand it to be baptized no you don't you need to be baptized to be obedient yes now you might be asking but when i have a close friend who talked to him he's like i'm i'm really thinking about being baptized and i was like great like why I'm like because i know i'm a sinner and i need christ to pay that for me and just be made made new I'm like great so Getting baptized soon. He's like, no, there's some other things I want to work out. And I was like, I think that's a bad idea. Because <laughs> what work are you doing anyway? Are you waiting for yourself to get right? Like, what work do you need to do? By, by saying that, you're saying the work of Christ wasn't enough? So you may be in that same boat. Like, eh, there's some other things I need to work out. Then I'll be ready to be baptized. Even with our children, right? We're just like, sometimes we're waiting like, ah. They need to do a little more work on their understanding. I would encourage you, yes, do we need to make sure they memorize every fifty, all 52 questions of this catechism we're going through? No. Is it good, though, to have a grasp on what grace is? Absolutely. But for us and our children and our grandchildren, here's my encouragement. Present them the gospel. you are like, well, they won't even listen to me about that. Well, then perhaps... They haven't been regenerated yet. You know, that it's possible. Present them the gospel. If they respond with a, yes, I'm a sinner, and I believe Jesus died for my sins, paid that price, and makes me new before God. If there's any semblance of that understanding, baptize. That's where I'm at right now with this. Let's be eager to baptize a confession of faith. A faith as simple as, I'm a sinner, Jesus paid my sin, rose to new life, and now he's in me. Let's let's baptize. If we wait to fuller understanding, like, okay, I'm not going to prompt you anymore. Now say it on your own. Then all of a sudden that provides a lot of questions. Like, when are we capable of full understanding? Which leads us to like, well, why not baptize infants? Well, okay, great. But that's not my status quo. I like, I I would consider myself a credo Baptist. That's my own experience. We've never baptized an infant in this church. I'm not against it, but I also like, oh, I think there's a power just in um, I, I, when I stood up here and made promises to Sarah right there. And now I wear a ring as a reminder of the promises before God. I love I love that I have that ceremony to it. We don't have any um, anything stopping us right now from if there is someone who says they want Christ as a savior, let's baptize. And let's not be too eager to like, ah, the work's not done yet. Let's focus on God's work more instead of our own. It seems like in misunderstanding, that's the way we should err as, as Christ followers. Let's depend on his work more than our own. And our own ability to respond to that. Is there supernatural things happening in the depths of our soul? I believe it, yes. Is faith being planted in some and not in others? Yes. Are we afraid of punishment if you baptize that person, they confess faith, and then look, they were never a new creation. They never had a desire in it. I don't see that God's going to come down on me (laughs) for being eager to receive a confession of faith and baptize in the name of it. And that person has to answer to the creator in the same way I do. So I say, I'm eager to baptize, to be obedient, and see regenerated hearts come, old life gone, new life here. That's help. So the plan is to get the horse tank out at Easter Sunday <laughs> and start dunking. Um, I know Johnny Jane. She's a profession of faith. And it's like, all right, Johnny, let's dunk you. So yeah, a little time passing, but that's there'll be at least one baptism on Easter Sunday. That water will be there. You've heard this, right? So anybody... Um, can come and put themselves in the water and say, I don't want that old life. I want the newness of life that Christ brings. We will have a couple times to just talk about what does that look like? Um, what is happening? So they can, you know, if they are able to wrestle with that, like, all right, what's it mean? They can have understanding. I think that's good. But also not saying you you have to go through all 52 questions of the catechism and then you may be dump, dumped in the water. That's not what we're going to require. All right, so that's a lot. I'm eager to uh, talk about it with you all at Sunday school. Um, I'm eager to see the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed on this church um, through obedience of faith that God has put here. That's exciting to me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for the gift of baptism. We do not understand fully what it means. We're thankful for the scriptures who appoint us to that understanding. We're thankful for a Christ who gives us newness of life, not based on our, our works or our own strivings but based on your finished work, perfect work that gives us access to a perfect kingdom. And we are excited to see glimpses of that kingdom even now, but we are even more thrilled that it will be um, everywhere when when you return and establish it for good. We're looking for that day and we pray it comes quickly and we pray that we would just find the joy of walking in obedience until that time. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen.